You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. I'm joined today by a legend in the sport of powerlifting, uh, Vince Anello, and We'll give Jeremy a, a legend status. He'll be joining us a little bit in probably 20 minutes or so, Jeremy Hartman. Um, so if you don't know who Vincentello is, um, you probably should, considering he was the first man under 200 pounds body weight to deadlift over 800 pounds. And, uh, you know, I think we live in an era of a sport where I think a lot of people forget about where the sport started and where it came from. And without people like Vince setting the bar higher you don't have some of the big lifts that we've seen today without people like him doing it first uh so basically vince what i want to i just i want to hear some like stories like how you got into powerlifting and i was just reading um you were actually mentioned there was a whole chapter on you in this book uh it was called the forgotten secrets of west side barbell culver city yeah one of the um one of the things that I love about a book like that is like how creative everybody got training because there wasn't like a ton of information out there. Like you guys literally like tried everything to get strong and you guys found ways. And I want to hear what it was like in those early days, like when you first started. Okay. The reason I, I when I started, uh, Kevin, uh, I started bodybuilding, you know, I started bodybuilding because, uh, you know, bodybuilders back in my day got more girls. <laughs> Fair enough. The reason I started lifting weights and I started lifting in third grade because I was short and fat and got bullied. Okay. I was short and fat and got bullied and I started training in third grade never stopped. So when you were in the third grade, did you just have like a, um, like a weight set in your basement? No, Kevin. What I did is my before my parents bought me a weight set, I went in the woods, got a rusty old bar, and put some bricks on it. And started lifting that, and I started getting. I started reading about it, studying about uh, weight training since third grade. You know. So uh, you have this rusty bar with bricks. What kind of exercises were you were you doing with it? Uh gosh, uh, curls and all kinds of stuff. Anything it's been long ago, Kevin. It's been long ago. It's hard. <laughs> I think I, I think that's amazing. So, yeah. uh, what, what age were you when you when you started uh, getting into power? So, how long were you in bodybuilding? How long oh, did you? God, I took third place in Mr. Teenager America in 1968. Oh, okay. Won best arms. I won best arms in Mr. Teenager America. And, and so, when did you decide to jump over into powerlifting? I went at the Vince's gym, Vince Lubowicki's gym on West 25th Street in Clark. I went up there, and uh, Vince says, you seem kind of sick. Why don't you try powerlifting? I said, I don't want to go with powerlifting. You know, I just want to bodybuild. <laughs> so he got me into powerlifting. And uh, I think my first deadlift, I think, was 350 pounds. So I thought, oh, my God, that's great. How old, how old were you at the time? Oh, God, just out of my teens, about 19 or 20. Were there uh, competitions at the time? Yeah, yeah, there were competitions at the time. He got me in a, in a powerlifting car in my first deadlift. It was 400 pounds. And 
competition. I said, oh my God, that's great. You know what I mean? Uh, so where, where was this competition? Was Everything was raw at this time too, right? Yeah, everything was raw. That was way back then. Kevin, it's hard for me to remember back. I looked at so many contests, you know what I mean? I thought yeah, 400 yeah. was great. Then I wanted to get higher and I, you know, my bench and my squat and I wanted to get higher with that. And they started increasing, you know what I mean? So after your first meet, you deadlifted that 400. You were probably all fired up about it. Oh, man, was I fired up. I thought that was a great deadlift, man. I thought, man. So that, that makes you want to keep training, right? So when you went back into the gym, what, what was your training? What did that kind of look like? Oh, gosh. Uh, what Vince did, we had different, we just changed the training around. But what Vince did, and I do this now with myself and my clients, is mental, mental training. And I, uh, I went to Baltimore Wallace College, and my, and my minor was psychology. You know, there's so, Kevin, there's so many different ways of training out there, and people get results that are seemingly opposite, you know, routines. What's the common denominator? The mindset. Right. The mindset. And I trained my mind. Vince trained my mind after he had me visualize my goals. We did mind training after, you know, we worked out. And we trained and we switched it around. You know what I mean? So sometimes you would do the mental training before you trained and sometimes you do it. Uh, generally after. Generally after. Generally after. And that's what I do with my clients now. I have them, I, uh, after I put them in a mud, I have them uh, visualize their goals, uh, all three modalities, see what they want to see, hear what they want to hear, and feel it, feel the success. When they feel the success, I install a trigger in and, and them. And they fire that trigger before they go to sleep, when they get up, and when they're lifting. It's, uh, it's funny that you say that. So when I uh, first started in this whole powerlifting thing, I was, uh, I was coached by Boris Shako for three years. Yeah. And one of the... Uh, one of the things that I asked him like right off the bat is like, I was like, how do I get to be where you're at at some point or whatever? And he literally tells me, he goes, you need to think about powerlifting 20 hours a day. And I was like, oh, what are we doing in the other four hours? Sleeping? He's like, no, training. So, yeah. and then he was like, you can take an hour and think about something else. So do you think like part of that visualization is just being uh, constantly focused on your goals, right? Like it, it's the first yeah, thing to think of when you wake goals, up. Kevin. But then you got to allow it to happen. You got to allow it. You can't think about it. When you go out there, when I thought about what I was going to do, I didn't do it. I just got into that success state of mind, and then I went out there and allowed it to happen. I allowed it to happen. When I thought, when my analyzing things, I wouldn't do as good. When I went out there and just allowed it to happen, I would program it into my mind and go out there and just let go. Let go and allow it to happen. So when you were, uh, so I actually deal with a lot of lifters who tend to like overanalyze things, right? The, 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 and, you know, one of my, uh, one of the lifters that I, on my team, I don't know what's his name, you know, if I were lifting, he was lifting against someone, he'd say, man, your, your uh, form looks off. What's, what are you doing? He'd get his analytical mind working. He did his analytical mind and that would, deter from their performance when you get that analytical mind going. So when you, um, so let's say you have that 800 pound deadlift, right? So it's something that nobody's ever done before your body weight. Were there moments where you were like, shit, I don't know if I can do this. And 
But then I would, again, every night, I would program it in my mind. When I went out, actually, uh, when I went out there, I didn't know what was uh, happening. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't remember what happened when I went and made a world record. None of my world records do I remember what happened because I wasn't thinking. I went out there and I felt it. I, you know, I felt success and then I just did it. I, I didn't analyze it. I don't remember what going on. Even, let me tell you a, a story. When I, in 1978, we went on Turkuflin in uh, Unta he, he made, uh, he, that was his hometown. He made the best deadlift of his life, 749. I hurt my back so bad in a squat, I could hardly uh, well, warm up with 400 pounds. And then I took my opener and another one, and then I needed to win. I needed a world record, 815. And I don't remember, I don't remember uh, going out there and doing it, but I went out there and pulled an 815 after not even hardly being able to warm up with 400 pounds. I went in the back room to lay it, and I got into that state of mind, and I just went out there, and I didn't analyze it. Oh, this is so much more weight. No, no. Go put it in your mind, get in that state of mind, and go out and allow it to happen. That's success in anything. And uh, like I'm gonna, I'm training this well, woman in uh, the mixed martial arts. You can't be thinking about it when you go out there. You just gotta put it in your mind and go out there and allow it to happen. Not analyze it, allow it to happen. I uh, that I really appreciate like. So like one of the things, so, you know, especially I think for beginner athletes, like in general, like doesn't matter what the sport is, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. What, you have to, you know, work on your technique and everything, but when you have to work on in training and everything, work on a technique there. But when you're competing, you got to let go, let go. You know, you can't be analyzing your technique or anything when you're competing. You got to let it go. You have to you work on a technique in training. And then get out there and allow it to happen. I uh, so in that in that meet, so your back was hurting, warming up, four hundred pounds. You hit that eight fifteen. Did you feel the pain afterwards? Like once the adrenaline stopped kicking in, and once you kind of like almost like came back to like out of the zone type of thing, you're back into like your normal mindset. No, it after it was I, it fine. Well, I got a date with a trophy girl. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me tell you what happened afterwards. And then I was in a room talking to her. She was an interpreter. I hear a knock at the door. It was a wuntet. And he, she interpreted. I said, what's he saying? She says, well, you, you beat him in uh, lifting. He could out wrestle. I was a wrestler. So, so I threw him out of the room. Then I heard another. And then I got another knock. He says, well, you beat him in wrestling, too, but he could drink more vodka. Kevin, he did. <laughs> That's amazing. So um, on top of like training the mindset and stuff, um, and like for me, like I noticed that this was, you know, especially now with all this technology, like everybody can analyze everybody's lifts and everybody can analyze their own lifts and training. And sometimes like it's impossible for them to get into like that little flow of a, of a training session of like feeling the weights like in your hands, feeling it on your back, feeling the movement, because they're yes. just relying on the phone and stuff. Um, and don't get me wrong, like I think like being able to video uh, training and stuff has its place, but like there's this like fine line where it can become too much at times for that mindset. So um, like when you were training, like what were some of the 
like, especially with powerlifting too, right? You take a rep and yeah. you have these long breaks. Like, what were some of the, like, mental techniques you would use, like, in between repetitions, like, for the technique, for moving the big weights? Uh, was it just, like, visualization or something different? Yes. What I do, every, actually, uh, what I do is I would get into a relaxed state and visualize myself, you know, what I wanted. And then what is the, and then I would hear what I would hear. I use all three modalities. See what you see hear what you were here and feel it, feel it. That was the most important to me. The feeling, getting the feeling of success. You know, you could get into all the, uh, you know, see yourself or hear, but you got to get into the feel. That's is when, you know, I would clench, I use a clench fist. I would get the feel of myself doing the best lift of my, then I would clench my fist and that would instill that feeling in my body. Then I would go out there and do it. I wouldn't analyze it then. I would drop the analyzation, just get, I would, what did I, uh, when I went out there, the feeling, the feeling, the feeling, not the weight out there, how much weight it was on there, how much, no, I get out there and get into that feeling of success and winning a world championship. I get in there and feel myself having already won, and I get in that feeling, and it would, you know, that's what I would do. It's, um, it's interesting that you bring that up, so like when I do like visualization between reps and it's one of those things where you start like visualizing the success. You can almost feel that like feeling in your in your chest of like yeah, and the big happening, right? And like yeah. and you, just, you just know right then that like oh yeah, like I got this right now. Yeah, you just get in there and you know give up the visual, give up that auditory, and just get into that feeling, feel your success. You know, I um I want to hear a little bit about like the physical components of your of your training too because like you guys like we're spoiled nowadays right we got these nice gyms with all the different bars and racks and chains and bands and all of yeah, these yeah, things yeah. and uh you guys had to you guys had to figure some shit out for yourselves and you uh know what he had me do though he had me doing a lot of accessory work not just the power lifts he had me working on the whole body bodybuilding he had you work on your lats you work on the rectus spinae right you work on it's like a foundation if one pound of the foundation is weak, it's gonna fall in. So you gotta work the body from all different angles, just not the muscles involved in, in the power lifts. You gotta work it from all different angles. This, uh, so it's a big supporting system. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you started doing that, you were what, 13 years old or so? Oh yeah, I worked the body from, Vince Lubowicki had me working the body from all angles, you know? And God bless him. He got lymphoma at a young age, and he passed away. And I follow his techniques now. I follow his mental and training techniques now. And uh, the bodybuilding now. And uh, let me tell you, I, I had a hip uh, operation in uh, uh, 2003. And a few weeks, my wife, had, her mother was living at New Jersey Shore. We went out to a gym out there. And I was doing slow repetitions with isometric holes and everything. And this guy, this gentleman was doing a death, in a good deadlift. And uh, he had girls around him. He did a 405 deadlift, which was great. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, he said he was trying to get me how to train. I said, sir, you know, everybody's different. Let me alone. You know what I mean? He says, sir, pick a weight you could do for 10 reps. Not just, you know, because I was doing slow, controlled repetitions, you know. He says, pick a weight you could do for 10, not, you know. I said, sir, please, you know. And then he kept saying, he would get, because his girlfriends were. So I said, okay, let me try that. It was 405. I took it. I did 10 reps with it. 
<laughs> and he says, who in the hell are you? I says, just some, uh, sir, I'm just some old man just trying to get some aerobics. <laughs> I love it. Uh-huh. And I, that was a bad thing to do. I didn't want to show him up. And his girl, his girlfriends thought he had done a great lift. They looked at me, what the hell? <laughs> no, but that, that was not what, but if he wouldn't have kept on like that, I wouldn't have done that, you know? It's like, it was not right to show him up, but you know, he kept telling me how to train. <laughs> and this was right after your hip surgery, you said? Yeah, about a year or so after, yeah, yeah. about a year or two, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jeremy just joined on. What's up, Jeremy? Hey, Jeremy, how's it going, man? It requires the same haircut to deadlift almost 800 pounds, right? I had a fro back then, though. I had a fro. Yeah, you did. I've seen. I've seen the pictures. You had some pretty good hops too back then. Yeah, I still have my fro pick too. <laughs> so, Jeremy, we were literally just talking about like the mental aspects of training, and Vince was talking about. So I'd asked him about his training. He said, basically, that like any training works, but everything that everybody has in common is the mindset. And he was talking about like some of the training stuff that he did for his mind. Um, and I know you're big on the mindset stuff there. So maybe if you want to just go with that. Yeah, everybody knows about, you know, being mentally tough. And I knew about that, too. And I heard it, you know, same thing you've, Kevin, you know, with your athletic background and uh, with all the sports you did, same thing with Vince wrestling. But as I got into it further and started getting on a, on a national level, when I went and saw Vince, uh, you know, again, I read about it. You know, you hear about it from other lifters or their coaches. But Vince kind of narrowed it down to a science and showed me that you actually have to train it. You know, the, the, you, it's just uh, it's more than just being mentally tough all the time. Yes, you're going to get it through your grueling workouts and hit numbers and, and building your confidence. But you also have to do some mental side of training. And that's what Vince kind of opened up to me. Um, on the big side of that mental training was just his way of doing it, um, going through meditation, um, you know, seeing stuff in the meet, replaying it before you get to the meet. So that way you're, you're, you know, taking care of some of the variables that are going to be there. You already have the mindset of, you know, what, you know, the way stuff is going to be, the way stuff is going to act, the intensity, Um, heck, even just the the smell of the meats with everything from the chalk to the ammonia to everything else that's going on through there, your warmups, how are they going to feel to your attempts? You know, Vince just kind of opened up my eyes like, hey, you, you're you doing all this preparation for the meet, but you're still leaving a small part out here, which actually ended up being a big part that I learned later on. The um, Yeah, and I, I think the mindset is something that almost every person in powerlifting uh, forgets about. Uh, so we were talking about, like, visualizing success, and Vince was saying, and I really like this, like, don't, like, allow it to happen once you go out there. And, like, I've been – I've had similar advice in my life. What – and we'll go back to you, Vince, to start with this. When things didn't go well, how was your mindset and how did you make sure that you were in the, in the right frame of mind to make good training decisions to get back on the horse and to keep uh, progress moving in the right direction? Again, what I would do is I would get into a relaxed state and fire the trigger. I'll fire the trigger again and get into success mindset. So it didn't even matter. Like even in that failure, you just go back to visualizing. You, you go back to, and not necessarily visualize. So everybody is auditory, visual. You know, I would get into the the feel. Right. I would get back into the feel, not generally the visualization, because that sometimes that's analyzing. Right. Right. I would, yeah, because sometimes that that's getting in back in the analytical mind. You know, I actually when I uh, at my end of my career, I was fit failed a few because I was analyzing, what am I doing wrong? If I fail, I say, man, what am I doing wrong? So instead of saying, what am I doing wrong? What should a lifter be 
doing, just getting into that feeling of success. You got it. And you got access to feel again, the feel of success. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I like that a lot. What do, what do you got to say about that, Jeremy? No, I agree. You know, one thing Vince and I talked about, and you know, Vince, you can share more on this story later. Um, but we, we talked about stuff like the one time Vince won a world championship going into the deadlift before his opening attempt. I think, Vince, you told me you were in like 10th place the one year. Oh, yeah, I was way back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was a thing that I learned from you. It didn't matter. You, you knew what you had to do. You knew what numbers you had to hit. You knew what was uh, uh, at stake. And it, it just, it was like, it's so funny because it was just like a relaxing thing. You're like, it was no big deal. I didn't care. You know, I just remember the one time it's like 10th place or you're telling me about it. And you're like, it was no big deal. You know, the first deadlift, you know, that brought me up to top five, I think it was for you. And then you said the next one brought me to the top three and the last one was for the world championship. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, I think I took that mindset from you. Like, you know, even if, if something doesn't go right or something doesn't go as planned, you know, like you said, it's, it's about getting in that mental state. Okay, well, you know, I'm going to fix this or I'm going to have a great warm up over here or, you know, something else like to just kind of positive reinforce it. And I didn't care what place I was in going to the deadlift. I, I got that mental state from you that, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to have a great session here, man. I'm ready to go. Yeah. And, you know, that squat and bench were just a warm up for the deadlift and the meat doesn't start till the bar hits the ground. That's the old saying from, you know, even back in your day. And I just took that advice and, you know, it really helped me through my meets and helped me place at the world level. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So Vince was, I, um, if anybody wants to train, train for, uh, powerlifting, get in touch with Jeremy. He's a great coach. He is a, he is a great coach. I know firsthand. So if you want to be, uh, if you want to be successful, contact Jeremy. He's great. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I had a, a coach, this was a soccer coach when I was starting to get more competitive and into the, uh, like more advanced, like club teams and stuff where he would always say like, as long as you know, that clock is still ticking, you still got a chance. Like things don't ever, it's not basically, it's not over until the whistle sounds. And like, if you keep playing hard, like you can be part of these moments in time where you just think all hope is lost, but for some reason, you know, you guys are football fans. Remember that 28 to three new England Patriots super bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a um, – so the NFL does this, like, mic'd up, and there's, like, a 35-minute video, and you can just hear them talking to each other the whole game, even when they're down 28-3 to three with, like, five minutes left. And, like, some of the conversations and, like – there's this one – so Dante Hightower is in the huddle. This is actually right before he gets that strip sack. And he's just saying, like, you know, we got to be perfect in every aspect of the game. No more, no more mistakes. No more my bads. Perfect in every aspect of the game. And then he just, like, lines up outside, gets that strip sack. And it's, like, one of those things where, like, everybody was buying in. Everybody was pushing that little, that little bit harder. Like, all wasn't lost. They didn't hang their heads. They kept saying, like, you got to believe the, the whole time, too. And, like, it gets back to exactly what you were saying, Vince. Like, yeah. Vince was talking about uh, one of his meets – his back was killing him with like 400 pounds and he was able to get into that mindset and hit that 815. And I know you had a similar experience, Jeremy, at a meet where I think you even passed a second attempt, right? Yeah, yeah, I had, um, this is something Vince and I had talked about and it was good because I got to relate to him and he got to share his stories about it. Yeah, I was uh, competing. I had a back injury, you know, several weeks out and, and training. I didn't hit the numbers I was supposed to hit. I was, you know, 50 pounds below and that was 50 at best. You know, that was a struggle 50. 
And, you know, I had contemplated even go to the meet, you know, it's, it's a, that negative stuff that runs through your head. Like, why the hell am I even going to go there? You know, I'm supposed to be competing for a national title. I'm against three other open national champions. And, you know, it, it just didn't matter. It's like, you know, I was coaching at the time too. It's like, what the hell would I have told my athletes? You know, and I had some good people around me and said the same thing. And Vincent shared his story about it. You know, it was, it was just, you got to work around. You got to be smart. You got to do the stuff that you need to do and take care of it. And I, I did what I needed to do. I took care of my back with everything. And, um, you know, I mean, I had a good squat, you know, I, I was a little bit of a PR. I'm like, okay. And then, uh, you know, I finally benched over 500, you know, in a, you know, single ply basic shirt. I'm like, okay, we're, we're doing pretty good. And, you know, it was starting to ache a little bit, but we got through it and I pulled my first attempt and I put myself in a good place. And it just goes back to what Vince and I had talked about, you know, he had done this before too. And, you know, they said, look at it. Like, you know, we're, we're going to be top three, no matter what. And you came here for first. So I've never, ever skipped a second attempt in my entire life. Never even thought about it. You know, everyone's go nine for nine, especially me, three for three in the deadlift. Never want to disappoint Vince um, from all his help that he gave me. And, you know, we skipped my second attempt and we put uh put a pr on the bar man i wasn't scheduled to do this i didn't know what it was but i was in that state that vince was talking about and it was just that okay it was, it was no big deal for me that's what we got to do that's what we got to do i'm ready for it and it ended up being the best thing because there was no way i could have done the second attempt and had enough strength uh you know to do that third attempt so we skipped the second attempt and i think we jumped up well over 50 pounds you know, I ended up being 755. I was weighing 218, and we pulled it to tie. I won a body weight, won the national title, went out to Worlds, had success out there, and then qualified for the World Games. You know, and I, I almost didn't even go to that meet. Wait so, Was that that 11-second deadlift? Um, no, that was probably – no, the 11-second one was the Arnold, and I, I missed the 7 8 <laughs> <nine there>. so, <laughs> thanks, thanks for bringing that up, though, Kevin. <laughs> the um... – so both of you guys are kind of unique in a way in the way that you deadlift because you both deadlift with a very round back. Um, yeah. Who you, Vince? Like, how did you figure out that that was the best way for you to be pulling? Uh, that was my structure. That was my structure. You know, around that was my structure. So I actually yeah. noticed in like old pictures of you, like your heels were almost like touching and your toes. Yeah, touching. I, I did that. You know, my heels were, you know, almost. Yeah, that was my. We, um, we actually use that as a variation, a uh, heels together conventional deadlift. And we started using it because I saw your pictures and like I saw some other pictures of some guys back then that were deadlifting with that same stance. And uh, it's tended to like really help build up some, some sumo deadlifts and some low back strength and stuff uh, once we started yeah. adding it in. But it's, uh, it's a very like unique pulling style. And did you just like mess around with all different stances and just- I, I, you know, went out for all different stances. You know, I just uh, you know my the stance to seem, seemed to help me was my uh, uh, you know short uh, and then with then heels close together and and toes pointed out. What about you, Jeremy? Well, you know, mine was developed the same thing with Vince. It was through trial and error. I tried the neutral back position. Um, you know, I, I tried different stances. I used to be a sumo puller. And, you know, after a while, my back got so strong and I learned, the big thing I learned from when I was working with Vince is he gave me what it meant to lift heavy and lift with assistance work. You know, when Vince is over there, I remember the first time I went in, I was just 17 years old, just turned 18. Yeah. And we we're talking about lap pull downs. I shared this story and Vince okay. said, uh, you know, what do you usually use? And I, you know, I just, you know, 210 pounds and 
Vince was talking about using 350 to 380 pounds for his back. You know, we we're talking about good mornings and Vince was doing, you know, four or 500 pounds plus regularly. And it just gave me, uh, it gave me something new. It gave me a new perspective on what it meant to really build assistance work. You know, when people like they do good mornings, you know, they'll, they'll do a couple of plates, maybe they do 315, but that's not the way it was to really get your back stronger. You had to do that stuff. So with the stances, it was something I play around with and then learning the assistance work from Vince and how important it was at the highest level. Not just say, hey, here, you know, do five sets of five on, on good mornings. No, well, here's five sets of five. Here's what I used when I was deadlifting 700. Here's what I used when I was deadlifting over 800. And when Vince started sharing that with me, that really started to get my back stronger and that kind of helped develop my style of deadlift. So you were pushing like limit weights with the uh, those accessory movements? At that time, you know, I was influenced a little bit since Louis Simmons writing was out, you know, in the early 2000s, that's all you had was Powerlifting USA and Dave Tate was writing for T Nation. And so uh, that's a lot of the conjugate method was training around the deadlift. But Vince was also doing the same thing. And that's part of the reason he built his deadlift. Um, you know, Vince, if you can share a little bit, uh, you know, Kevin, you can ask him about this, about his other coach, uh, Vince, who got him started and some of the crazy assistance numbers he was hitting. I mean, that's why my back started developing so strong, and that's why I kind of gravitated toward that style of uh, deadlift stance and back position. Yeah, he uh, he actually mentioned uh, Vince a little bit earlier on, and I, I would love to hear what the actual, like, physical training looked like, um, basically, like, through your career, Vince. We would so do partial deadlifts. I would do uh, uh, partial deadlifts at uh, below the knee, just below the knee, about an inch below. I think I pulled 950. And at the knee, I think I pulled 1,050. And I used to do uh, shrugs. Our big thing were shrugs. And in fact, I was on the news one time when I did, I used straps though. I did, uh, I did a couple sets of five with 1,000 pounds in shrugs. Holy shit. Back, way back in the day. And let me tell you about another thing about the mind and training. And when I trained with Vince Lewicki, he had put me in a, a positive mindset. I, uh, I wanted to make an 820 deadlift. So he, we, we did uh, 750, then we made 800, and I wanted 820. So I pulled the 820, but it went so hard. And Vince says, wait a minute, you know what we put on? That's what they pulled 880 on. Holy shit. And, and we, uh, we took the weight off the bar, we weighed it, it was 880, over 880. And if I didn't know what it was, I wouldn't have done it. You know. <laughs> so were you doing a lot of, uh, so for the actual lifts themselves, was everything just like singles or were there a lot of like doubles and triples in there? And was everything like taken to near failure for the most part? Yeah, I would do a lot of, uh, uh, we did a lot of uh, exercises, assistant exercises of failure. Like, you know, lats, the lats, and you know, the rectus spiny muscles, we do hyperextensions and all that stuff. You know, we, I would do a lot of bodybuilding, work the body from all angles. We, would, we were back into there, the one, uh, <laughs> Darden, Darden, one set to failure. Remember that, the Nautilus system? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wasn't yeah, that like a big Dorian Yates thing? In fact, I do that with some, some of my, I do that once a week with some of my clients. And even uh, I trained some power lifters and I had them do some, uh, uh, one set to failure on some of the exercises that are involved in their weak point of the lift, you know? So for the competition lifts, like how often did you train the squat, the bench, and the deadlift uh, frequency-wise, and what did that, the training of those lifts kind of look like? 
Oh, God. The, uh, the deadlift, I only train once a week. Once a week. What about know? the squat? And squat uh, twice a week. You know, I would squat on the bench twice a week. But the deadlift, just once a week. And the deadlift, uh, I think the my best, I did a lot of partials, but we're, we're done with singles. The one exercise routine I did were singles. I would do uh, uh, a single, rest a minute, do another single, rest another minute, and do another single with a percentage of my top lift. You know what I mean? What percentage would you use for something like that? Something about 85, 90%. Okay. You've got about five singles with... Uh, you know, one minute rest between, you know. And then by the end, that's probably pretty tough with that short. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, you know, allow, again, uh, get into that state of mind and allow it to happen, you know. What about the, how heavy were you training the squat at the same time that you were training the deadlift? Uh, gosh, about this, I would do more repetitions in the squat than I did with the deadlift. Did you ever you do, know, like, no, go ahead. You know what, I actually, I think helped my deadlift to partial squats. Yeah, that's what I was um, – because those were huge back back in the day, right? Like that West Side Barbell Culver City group. Yeah, yeah. Box squats a lot. We would work in a power rack. You know, I worked, you know, really heavy weights in a power rack with, uh, you know. <laughs> and the bar would start on the pins, right? Uh, no, we take it off of, off of the uh, rack, the pins, and go down and dead, dead stop it down at the bottom. Oh, I see. Okay. So like a high pin squat almost. Yeah. I didn't do much box squats because every time I did a box squat, I hurt my back. Why do, why do you think that was? Do you think it's just the movement itself or? The movement. You know, you go sit on a box and come up and I always hurt my back when I did that. So I didn't do too much box squatting. Yeah. There's a few that uh, have that same complaint about the, like, I know, like Mike Teixeira said the same thing about the. Yeah, box squats. Um, so, Jeremy, what kind of um, when you first started? So, you're a teenager. West Side was huge. Yep. Um, you probably could see, you know. So, like I was saying when the podcast started, like without people like Vince putting up the numbers that he put up and doing the training and messing around in the gym, we don't make progress today. Like people aren't putting up those big lifts. Our programs don't look like what they look like without that. Um, so, you were like that next generation of powerlifter, almost like getting started at that time anyways. What did the, like, you could see the training kind of build upon what he was doing at the time and maybe you could kind of like discuss like the progress and like training principles from that point forward. Yeah, you talking about when I had first started and how I kind of advanced them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it was just built up. So obviously um, the guy who got me started, uh, Louis was training a couple of the fighters, Dan Bobish at the time, King of the Cage, he's in the UFC. Um, so that's how I got introduced to Louie because uh, my wrestling coach had known him, trained with him, and so that's when a lot of the writings were coming out in Powerlifting USA. So we are heavily influenced by that, and then it, it just grew as, uh, you know, I, I talked to Vince, got a lot of stuff from him, and, you know, he just mentioned his, his partial squats, Kevin. You know, I think I mentioned this to you before. He was doing 1,200 pounds. I mean, yeah. this is back with terrible equipment in the day, walking out, you know, pin squat and 1,200 pounds for reps. Again, it's like you look at it like, okay, some people are like, oh, you know, you know, 500 pounds or 600 pounds. And, you know, Vince is over there doing that. And you, you wonder why he's pulling 880, weighing less than 200, not on a deadlift bar or any of that, you know, stuff that's out there today. You know, I don't now, know. that's why I'm so short, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. But then, uh, Kevin, as I, you know, worked with him, I got some new ideas, new perspectives was the big part. And then as I got on the world team, you know, I, I actually started learning because everyone's talking about Russian training. No, no, no. I actually talked to the coaches. When I got there, you know, I was talking to the Russian coaches, the Ukrainian coaches, uh, the Chinese and Japanese had amazing setups and were technically like the best lifters I've ever seen on the bench press. They weren't the strongest, but man, they could hit lifts that, you know, j- just were amazing. And from a technical standpoint, they, they were unbeatable. So it was simple that when I got to these world level meets and back then, in, you know, 2003, we were there for a week. So I was in, in Poland when I made our first junior world team for a week. So you had nothing to do. So I was talking to all these coaches to meet during the week. You know, I was talking to the Iranian coaches, talking to Russian, Ukrainian, uh, Chinese Taipei one. I, I met a guy, a um, uh, very good squatter, Ron. He was uh, uh, from Puerto Rico. You know, I worked with him a little bit. We talked about stuff. So I got a lot of information, got a lot of training programs, talked with a lot of lifters. So I just started building my repertoire up of, okay, now these guys do a different style of training. This is really how it works over here. Um, got some information from there. You know, I got beat by the guy from Norway two years in a row and it freaking knocked me out from placing top three at Worlds. So I said, that's enough. I need to see this. So I made friends with him and his coach and, you know, got some of their information. And I just started building my system around. I took what was missing, which was the uh, technical side of not practicing the lifts enough and started incorporating those more into what I was doing with Louis' thing. At the same time, like Vince had told me, Vince, one thing you said was, as we talked, because I want to learn from you about your career and what, looking back, you know, you always ask what you would have done differently. One thing you told me was deadlifting too much. You said that kind of might have hurt you a little bit doing yeah. that all the time. That was in my later day, when yeah. my later time. I, I think the reason I uh, got my hip, I wanted to try sumo deadlifting. And sumo's not for my style, so I did a lot of sumo deadlifting. And I think that was one factor that wore out my hip. Yeah. Do you think if you had built up the sumo, like, because, you know, if I think of how you pulled with the heels almost close together and you yeah. move the feet out. If you had used lighter weights and you had kind of taken, like, a bodybuilding approach to, like, building up tolerance to it, do you think you would have been able to pull more sumo? I don't know. I was, it was later in my career. I don't know. But my sumo wasn't uh, for my built. You know, a lot of people are built for doing the sumo. Me, I'm not. Yeah, no, that's... It's not my structure. You know, like one of the things I like Shaco was like really big on was basically like manipulating the range of motion to the best of your ability. So he was one of those that was like, everybody should pull sumo. And then you just train the shit out of it for years uh, and build it up. Cause like, you know, if you could control range of motion, move the weight, you know, have the best leverages to move weight, eventually you'll probably have the, the best total possible. But of course that's like, you know, th- these are general statements and it didn't apply to everybody. Like I pulled conventional the whole time I worked with Shaco. So it wasn't a, a, yeah. a, a like, um, he like forced anybody to change, but like that, that thought has always stuck with me. Like, it's always like, maybe if we can build it up over time, you know, you just, you just never know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I would, uh, no, go ahead. Vince. Uh, another factor, what I would use is negative accentuated deadlifts. My best deadlifted when I took the weight off of the power rack, did a slow negative, and uh, dead stop, and then came off the ground like that. I had my best deadlifts when I did a slow negative first. Where, uh, how high was Jeremy's actually told me about this exercise? How high was the deadlift when it started? It was like a couple inches off the ground. 
No, I would uh, go down. And it was the ankle deadlifts. I would do that, which, yeah. No, I would dead stop on the ground. Uh, when you started the eccentric, were you at full lockout and it was like a full range of motion all the way? Yeah, down? I was at full lockout. I take it off the I take it off the pins on the power rack, do a slow negative, then stop, but then do the positive. And you were able. How much were you able to do in that exercise? Hmm. God, that's when I did my eight eighty. I did a slow negative, then stop it off the floor, and then I did eight eighty like that. So you were talking to all these coaches, Jeremy, and you're kind of like trying to come up with your own system, so to speak. One of the things that like I really appreciated about like your programs and your coaching is it's it's absolutely it's very simple. Like it's here are the exercises to work on some weaknesses, train hard, balls in your court from from there type of thing. So like how did you kind of arrive at because, like, the Russians and the Ukrainians, they use that, like, high frequency, lots of light weights, um, but they're very big on the technique aspect. Where you're coming from, you know, west side laying your bias in the beginning to with that intensity type of training, like, how did you find that blend? Well, that was a mistake. And, again, I didn't uh, – I had some great people around me, but the technical side was something I was missing, and I didn't develop that until, you know, I got into it. And I don't want to say it was too late. Um, but it was something I missed early on. So Kevin, when I started coaching, when I looked again, like Vince did, we look back on what we would have done differently. That's why I'm still, you know, when I had the three girls coming through who are on the world team together, Chloe, Shelby, and Jenica, you know, one thing I did was I hammered technique on them right from the beginning. I mean, I just went into it before anything else. You know, we still beat them up with assistance work because they needed it. Um, just like Vince said, you know, the deadlift, you got to be strong all around. Uh, Ed Cohen said the same thing too. But it was just like when I look back, it was something like, man, if I would have had this a little bit earlier on in my career and learned the stuff later on, man, it would have been even better. It was, it was just some stuff that I was missing, and I kind of had to incorporate that with the way I was already doing stuff. And like Vince said, kind of finding your own way to fit your structure and your weaknesses and your strengths. So that's one thing that I instill in all my lifters, especially now, is you know, if anybody contacts me I, and if I look at their videos, I'm like, hey, we're going to do some technique first, and it's going to be a little bit. And then we'll kick this up later. And like, if you just want some high volume program to get your results, any idiot can do that. And you can look that up yourself. Yeah, that's a good point about like, I do think we're kind of in this fad of like high volume stuff where it's just throw a bunch of stimulus at somebody and they're going to get stronger, but there's going to be that breaking point where you just get stuck. And if you don't have that technical background, you're kind of fucked. But one of the, um, so you know, obviously in like other countries, they have systems where they start these kids at a younger age. And I couldn't agree more with like very lightweight, learning the technique of the competition lifts and get your intensity through the accessories earlier on. But when you get these lifters, you know, what's the average age of a lifter that's reaching out like mid twenties or so they've had a background. Like I have a hard time like navigating those waters, like where, where to start with them. You know, because they're beyond that point. They're not some, like, 10, 12, 13-year-old kid that you can just build from the ground up. They're, they have, like, these certain expectations. And it can be a tough, tough thing to do, like how much technique work and how much do you push the lifts because, you know, face it, we're in a results-driven uh, business. So maybe you could, like, talk about how you kind of find that happy medium between the uh, those two aspects. Yeah. 
you want me to go first? Or yeah, maybe? you can go first, Jeremy. We'll go backwards. I, I think, when, like you said, because we do get a lot of 20 year olds, Kevin, that come in, or you know, some people that have been lifting, and they've had a background, they've done CrossFit or something, they're making a transition over. I, I, I take this quote, and I, I heard Ed Cohen say this seminar. It's like, what do you do right now? What's currently working for you? You know, who, who am I to tell you it's not going to work? So I always ask him, what, what, what are you doing? I got, I got somebody that comes in right now. I got a good guy right now. He's, uh, you know, four or five bench are coming to me. And he's, geez, man, he's 20 years old. He's a little bit bigger kid. But four or five, you know, uh, raw drug-free lifter. So I, I looked at his program, see what he's been able to do, and just kind of modify it. And I said, okay, so what, show me what you've gotten done. What, what's gotten you to this point? What's made you a little bit stronger with everything? And from there, I kind of let him do some of his stuff, and I make some technical adjustments. I, I make some recommendations about stuff. And, you know, I kind of build upon there and just get him some small results that we're going through and get him some noticeable stuff. Like, hey, you know, here was your 405. It was terrible when you gave it to me. Now look at where we're hitting it. Now look how smooth it is. It's competition ready. So, again, I just look at what they've done, what's worked for them to this point. I watch them lift. That's the thing. You're a coach. Just put the, you know, spreadsheets down. Watch your people lift. Find out some weaknesses. Start pointing some little stuff in. And I, I guess, Kevin, I, to answer your question, I think I kind of meet them in the middle. Here's my way of doing stuff. Here's stuff that's brought you to a certain point. You know, let, let's find the middle ground and let's, let's find what works for your structure, like Vincent pointed out, and, and we'll build from there. And, and over time, like I would imagine you take them from the middle and you start trying to get them more towards your side, right? Because like long term, that probably won't work meeting in the middle, will it? No, no, no. I mean, I, I do switch more, but I still keep certain things. Like I was working with Joe uh, Diver, you know, world champion venture. And, you know, there's certain things that Joe likes to do. And I kept those certain things in. Like he loves floor pressing, gets a lot of it. Okay, so that's that's going to be our, you know, priority number two work over here. We're going to do a lot of that in the off season, Or, you know, we're going to add chains to it because he struggles to lock out. So, okay, let's take that, what you love, and let's, let's put some stuff on that you actually need to do on there. You know, so yeah, I, I eventually take them to my philosophy, but I still keep some of the stuff that, you know, has worked for them or that they enjoy on there that gets some results and we plug it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Vince, when you were training, like bands yeah. and chains and stuff didn't exist. And yeah. you, you told me a story how, and I, Jeremy has actually told me this story of you too. Like you would have your training partners, like push down on the bar to offer resistance at like your sticking points. Like how did you, you guys are training and you're constantly trying to analyze your strengths and weaknesses and attack those weaknesses to make them strengths. And like, we're lucky enough where we've had people pave the way to kind of tell us, Hey, try this, do this. If you're missing here, here's some suggestions, but you were kind of one of the first ones that had to figure that stuff out. And I'd love to hear about like that training process. Like when your lips kind of got stuck and you notice where they were getting stuck and some of the things that you utilize to fix them. What I would do is, uh, you know, uh, you know, when uh, you, you know, we pointed out, like I did now, I trained a couple uh, power lifters online, and I looked at their weakness, where they were weak, and like the, the bad start, and I would uh, work on the muscles that uh, I thought would help them, you know, improve. I, you, you know, when you when you analyze a lift, you can see where the muscle, where which muscle is actually weak. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, when some people have a uh, one exercise I did was some people had a problem with the, uh, starting off. I had them uh, get in a power rack and do isometric holds. Actually, do uh, drive it up to the rack, pull, hold it for six seconds, and, and do about three repetitions. 
drive it up to the pins, hold it for six seconds, and that would help their uh, their start. How much weight would you have in the bar for those isometrics? Oh, guys, it uh, it varies. It varies with the person too. When you're training them, it varies. You know. So when you're trying to decide that weight for the isometrics, like what, what are you kind of looking for? So like for me, I kind of use like around like 50, 60%. It might be like, you know, 315, 365, something like that when I was doing Yeah, it goes by individual, uh, Kevin. It goes by individual. You had me, uh, Jeremy, do – you had suggested isometrics for me. Yep. And I have a hard time like figuring out where to put them in, in my program. Um, cause like on a max effort day, if I try to do them after it, it fucking crushes me. Yeah. But if I do something like lighter on a deadlift, I can do it afterwards. And like, I found a lot of value. So I had, when I had used, so you had suggested the isometrics and you had suggested the reverse bands. And that's when I hit that 615 deadlift yeah. uh, when I was doing those things, but I haven't hit it. <laughs> I haven't hit that weight since. Um, so like. When you do the isometrics, I know what Vince was saying. I kind of did a similar thing to that. Um, maybe if you could kind of just explain how you utilize those, because I don't think many people use isometrics in training anymore. Yeah, no, I use them sparingly. Um, you know, Vincent suggested some stuff. I read some stuff on it. Kevin, you know, you and I uh, looked over some literature, some good lifters, and um, some foreign lifters with what they were kind of using on there. So I always liked it an inch below my sticking point. You know, if it was, you know, unless I need to work off the ground or if I needed some stuff on, on, on my bench press, I just want areas I wanted to work. But usually it was like an inch below your mini max, you know, your sticking point there. And, you know, that 50%, it, it, a, I think that's a guideline. You know, like Ben said, it's hard to say on there because everyone's different about what they can push, what they can hold, and if they're good at those or not. But I think the, the 50% is, is a minimum guideline on there. And I use them more in my off season than anything else. Because it was again, I, I think everything's a, a cycle. You know, you got to you got to take stuff in, put stuff out, um, try some different stuff, work on weaknesses. Um, you know, keep hammering away at those because then as soon as something gets stronger, then something else gets a little bit weaker, and you got to work on another area. So I always liked an inch below, 50% is the basic. You know, anywhere from you know, I think Kev, we were going at least three to five seconds. You know, I forget how much you know you end up doing on yours. Uh, for go from there, and then when you asked about reverse bands. I looked at that because I did a lot of rack pulls and those helped me uh, early on. And Vince had suggested those. Louis was big on those too, you know, with, without accommodating resistance. But then again, Kevin, when I looked at where my deadlift was starting to stall out, and this is what you had asked Vince about, I was looking at it and the rack just started beating me up a lot. And it wasn't, you know, rack pulls weighted from a regular deadlift. Um, same thing with the bench and everything. So I wanted something more specific. And Sherman Ledford from Quest Nutrition, great coach, great guy, was there for a lot of my stuff, a lot of success for him at meets and my training. He had shown me, hey, he goes, you need something more specific, more closely related to what you're trying to accomplish here. So that's when we introduced reverse bands. And I, again, I brought those about an inch below my sticking point. So that was probably about mid thigh when they would come out of the band. So I could actually lock the weight out and actually feel myself, you know, actually locking 800 plus pounds. You know, there's no reason for me to do 900 on there when I was pulling, you know, close to eight, but I needed something over 800 pounds where I could actually overload that lockout, but it still felt like it was more of a natural deadlift position using the reverse bands than anything else. Yeah, I actually had, uh, so with the, with the ISOs and with the reverse band work, like this was probably a couple weeks before my competition. All of a sudden, like I had a, a much better like low back arch. I had a better position off the floor. I like my technique and my deadlift got way better. And I think this is why my numbers kind of 
like move backwards. Like that 615 I hit, I was kind of round and I was able to re-extend at the top because like I have pretty good like abilities to re-extend if my back's round. Yeah. Um, but like I pulled 595 last week and I mean, my hips aren't, you remember when, you know, when I first started with you, my hips are popping up off the floor, my back was round, but like that's no longer the problem. All of a sudden now my top end strength is the problem. I really think like the ISOs and the heavier overload work yep. like really helped my technique in the long run, even if it wasn't um, contributing to the success of my positions at that time when I was actually pulling. Um, and like, for some reason I just do really well with like overloaded weights and I, I might try some of those like higher, higher squats and just like overload it and just kind of see how that works. Cause I've never tried it with, um, with some of those things. So it's like some of the things that I feel could help some of my lifters with their technique. It's just hard. Like those ISOs, it's not even so much that they were like beating up my hips or my back or any, my fucking hands afterwards yeah. were freaking toast and like even just like gripping a squat bar like they were just so torn up that that was actually like the hardest thing i had to deal with and if i was doing a lot of deadlifts on that day it was just it ended up being too much so like finding a way to work those in um gets to be a little difficult one of the things that so i talked to uh tony Oliveira, who trained at Westside for a little while after the isos he told me to put some you know some lightweight on there and just like fucking smoke a few reps like really fast with it did you guys ever like mess around with something like that after after your isos like actually doing the full movement go ahead Vince. yeah you could do that yeah yeah after you did the isos you could do the full movement you know to get uh yeah yeah, with uh, explosive lifts. Yeah, I think I did some of that before. Yeah, but I did so many different training routines. Uh, man, it's hard to remember. I just I change them around so much. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, were you changing them around to like chase the weaknesses in your programs, or were you changing them around? You got stuck. You wanted to try new things. Like, what was your yeah, mindset like when you were changing those programs around? Yeah, when I change, if I've seen a weakness in my lips, I would change it around. Yeah, definitely. I change my routines around. How long would you keep the same exercise and stuff in there for at a given time? Uh, it's, so, it's so hard to remember that. It was back in the old day. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did so many routines. It's hard to remember. Fair enough. You know and I, I mean? Jeremy, you like to cycle yours down. You use basically just like a linear approach, but there's a lot of variation in your programs, um, a lot of bodybuilding stuff. Um, how did you kind of fall on the, maybe even like the frequency of the lifts that you're using and also like the time period you keep a variation in there? Cause you know, West side rotates it every week. Um, you rotate it, what, like every four to six weeks. And then there's like everything in between. And like, I found the four to six week thing to be ideal for, for yeah. my group too. Yeah. Uh, again, mine was just built, you know, talking with, uh, Ed Cohen about his stuff and he had the same philosophy about Vince, you know, they, they liked to train a lot of bodybuilding stuff. They thought the total body had to be strong, especially for deadlift. Um, you know, Ed liked a lot of, uh, deficit deadlifts for longer range of motion, especially with his structure on there. Um, just the way he liked to overload stuff, he'd switch his stances up. And so when I was looking at that and, and, and the variations and stuff, I needed to be totally strong. That, that was a big part. And, you know, even Ed in his career, you know, he used to pull sumo. And then it got to the point where, like Vince was saying, his structure was not built for it. And he kept pulling. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yep. 
So Ed, you know, went to a modified sumo stance. It was right around his squat. But since he had been doing all those assistance work, Kevin, it only took him, you know, again, this is when younger athletes seem to hear this. It took him a few years, but he built his convention, his modified sumo, if you want to call it. He built that right back up to right around a 900-pound pole where if he had just been training the same stance, the same stuff, and, you know, the same high volume, he never would have had that. So being strong all around was a big part. Um, what was your other part of the, on the question there, Kevin? Um, the frequency of your lift. So, like, like I was saying before, we're kind of in this fad of, like, everybody. I literally read an article the other day that said somebody dropped their frequency down to squatting five days a week. Oh, no, no. Squatting three days a week, benching five days a week, and deadlifting two days a week. Like, wow. it's just, like, it's common. For some reason, this is just, like, a, a thing. But, like, my frequency is the same as yours, Jeremy. I use, like, that upper-lower split almost. And, uh, yeah. like, how did you end up determining, like, that was a better frequency? It was so easy. I just talked to all the old lifters about what was working best for them. Even Larry Pacifico, you know, Vince loves him. Um, oh, know, he's the best. Um, yeah. You know, he wrote a lot of stuff on it. Um, Vince, you shared a lot of the old-time powerlifting books from Fred Hatfield. So I was like, why not just talk to the guys who were the best, learn from their mistakes, learn from their strengths, hear about their philosophies, and the common stuff that I found between all of them, that's what I started using on mine, Kevin. And the West Side stuff, you know, rotating once, you know, they max out once a week or maybe they do it two weeks in a row. It just wasn't enough stimulus. I wanted to get better at stuff. And the more you practice stuff, you know, loss of this uh, is you're going to get better at it. So I wanted to practice stuff for three or four weeks. I wanted to show, okay, I'm getting better at this. Hey, I'm making improvements on this. You know, hey, this is helping other aspects. So that's why I chose like, you know, three or four weeks. But, um, you know, Shelby Miles had a great squat at the Arnold Classic, you know, uh, 21 years old, squatted 424 at, you know, 200 pounds. Wow. Um, Vince has helped her, actually. Vince, you've done a couple mental uh, imagery stuff. Yeah, we did. Yep. But Shelby's thing was, um, you know, when we were doing stuff, I had to, like Vince said, he, he does a lot of stuff where he had to slow stuff down. So I did a lot of eight-second squats with her. And, I mean, we were doing a very slow, eccentric work. And Kevin Ike ended up extending that for six weeks because she was making great progress. We were fixing a lot of stuff. So that was out of the norm that even though I usually run three or four weeks on, you know, certain exercises and training cycles in the off season, that we were making great progress. Stuff was coming together. And, man, it had a great transition to the, the Arnold. Yeah, every- don't change it just because, right? What's that? Don't don't just change it just because if it's still working, like yeah, if she hadn't maxed out yet. She, we were still working on stuff. You know, I might have taken a couple seconds off there at the end. I don't think she needed all that time, but it was still working. We were still getting results. We were still figuring out positions. We were still fixing her technique, so um, she was able to raise her chest from the bottom. You know, Kevin, you say I believe raise your traps from the bottom. It's it's all the same, but we we're actually able to do that. But it took us six weeks of that stuff, along with some other training, of course, and then you know, boom, we hit a solid PR and had a little more left in us. Yeah, one of the things that I've been a little bit better with, like recently, so the way that, so we do a lot of singles, but like week one, you're just kind of learning the variation, right? So the singles just a little bit more reserved. And then week two, we might take like 80% for like four doubles, like very like Shaco-esque. And then week three, we try to break a record. So whatever we did week one, we're competing with ourselves. Week three, let's beat it in uh I use like Alyssa as an example and like her squat at a competition in February, she had squatted 336. She just took 365 to a close stance box yesterday. And it's like, I've done much more. And it's with the help of like, you were a huge influence on this. Shaco, obviously, Zach, Ryan, like I have a huge network of people that have like 
helped me along the way, but just being more aware of the things that are happening in training and not just putting something on paper because you feel it should be put on paper, not just, you know, changing it up because, oh my God, it's been three or four weeks, so let's change the exercise. Like just being more aware and being more in the situation and just like, I don't know, maybe like that art of coaching aspect of it. And I think there's not a lot of people out there that do that. And I, that's why like Vince, I wanted to bring you on. Like yep. you guys didn't have Excel spreadsheets, man. Like you literally had to like figure that shit out when you were doing it. And like, I've had this like fascination with like, it's not even just with like Louis Simmons, right? Like old, like even before Louis Simmons, like you, you guys like literally like, laid the foundation and paved the path for us to be able to do those things. And you guys had that intuition. Like I would like some of the stories that I was reading about, like Bill West and that group with like, I mean, Pat Casey being the first to squat 800, the first to bench 600 total 2,100, you deadlifting 800 at under 200 pounds body weight. Like these were amazing, amazing feats. When nobody else has done it, it's a lot harder. When you like, I've seen a bunch of 800-pound deadlifts now. Like, yeah. you know, what people forget is like when nobody's done it before. It's like that four-minute mile when it. Four-minute mile, yeah. You know, like yeah. somebody has to be that first, and to yeah. figure that out and to be the first is like to me that's amazing. Yeah. Um, when you were training, Vince, was it all raw? Did you ever get yeah. into equipment? Yeah, we did raw. Yeah. Did you ever try out any equipment? Yeah, I did. We did. I did equipment at the end of my career, yeah. What were you wearing? Oh, God. Uh, I had bench yeah, on, baby. God. <laughs> Squats or, you know, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of it? They were good. They were good. It helped, uh, you know, they were good. Did but, you, you know, As they increased the tech, uh, technology of the suits, what's next? Hydraulics, you know? I, I wouldn't mind a suit that just lifts it for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jeremy, when you were so when you were coming up, single ply was probably yeah, single, yeah. much more popular, right? Yeah, well I, I you know, we started off with the blast shirts, Kevin. It, yeah, so a, a solid base was the key. You know, luckily I had that before because if I had just been training a little bit and thrown into equipment, it, it would have been bad, man. I probably would have gotten injured. I wouldn't have good success. But the fact that I had been trained since sixth grade all the way through 12th grade, you know, with that athletic training and, um, you know, youth strength conditioning stuff I got to go through from Mr. Conjun, like I, I was set up to use equipment. So do you think like starting out in the equipment, like a blast shirt and – Z suits and whatever else that you were getting into at the time, because they're obviously not the same as the equipment today. Do you think it was an easier transition than it would be today or the same? No, absolutely. It was a much easier transition. You know, I, I wasn't getting much out of it. And I started my first meets raw anyway. So um, that equipment was easy to use. It was just a pain in the butt to put on. <laughs> I mean, Kevin, that shirt was taking you 20 minutes and you were lucky to get 50 pounds out of it. So, one of the um, so I was listening to Ed Cohn uh, on a podcast, and he was talking about he always chose single ply and like loose straps because he was a fast squatter, right? Yep. And it allowed him to keep speed and anything tighter um, slowed him up, and he wouldn't get as much out of it. And I was listening to Kenny Patterson say the same thing: like you got to find the equipment that works for you, and you know and 
based off of your leverages, how you lift, all of all of those things. So like some maybe some advice on um you know, I think everybody has this tighter gear is always better, more aggressive gear is always better, like those types of things and maybe you know, hopefully like single ply gear kind of picks up and stuff and maybe you could give some advice to like somebody starting out like maybe getting strong and lose gear first type of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I always start with loose gear. I mean, and no matter what that you're using, everything is loose. You don't need the, you know, the super katanas with the low cut and Kevin, you and I talked, you know, when you first started getting to it, we all said, you know, get an F six, get something basic for you. You don't, you know, you don't need to get a blast shirt, but get some loose gear, get some used gear on there, you know, practice it. Just don't think it's going to, you know, add, you know, X amount of weight to it. Like start with some board presses, man. Do, do three boards for a couple weeks, do two boards for a couple weeks, do some one boards. And Kevin, you above all people know how hard it is going from a one board just to touching, Ugh. you know, just, just start with suit bottoms, you know, get a loose suit, practice squatting from there. Cause it's going to change everything. It's probably going to frustrate and you upset you, you know, or, or just start with knee wraps. That, that's always a good one to start with too. Just start with basics, slowly add it on. It's nothing more than simple, do progressions. Okay, run a couple weeks of knee wraps. All right, now put a loose suit on. Now put a loose suit with some knee wraps on. Um, get some quality people around you who know what the heck they're doing with equipment or have some experience with it, you know, and then try putting your straps on for a little bit. Um, deadlift, same thing, loose suit bottoms to start with because it's going to be a pain in the butt to get down to the bar, you know, just to get in proper position because it's going to change yours up. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned about loose gear. One thing on my deadlift, I could never have super tight straps. It would round me over and throw my position way off. I liked it tight in the hips, and I liked the straps where I could put them on myself. And that seemed to put me in the best position for the way that I pulled and that I could at least get something out of the suit. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, when I look around at a lot of, like, the single black training, it's it seems like full gear is always, like, what everybody does, but... You know, I, I heard Ed Cohen talk about doing a lot of like straps down, bigger suit, oversized suit stuff. You had mentioned oversized suit, straps down. It's like one of the things that I've been doing is, you know, I, I would say single ply is much closer to raw than it is to multiply. So like you need to do a lot more of the work and it just makes sense to me to use oversized gear with the straps down. It's still minimal. You're still doing a lot of work, but you're still getting some practice in that gear. Like yep. I've added in like deficit deadlifts, low box squats, and it's really like taught me how to like push into that pressure bubble of, of the gear and stuff. The bench shirt's a whole different fucking animal. That's yeah. like sucks. But um, I just want to hear about like some of the maybe training methods because it seems like almost everybody does the same shit and nobody's really doing a lot of, but like when you read about like West side back in the day, they were single ply West side barbell cover city were single ply and they did a lot of straps down oversized suit type work. And uh, maybe you could just discuss some of the training methods there. Yep. This, um, do you have anything with, with your gear? I know it was minimal, you know, with the marathon deadlift suits and, you know, ace bandage knee wraps. Is there anything specific that, you know, you were doing or that you trained with? Uh, I use velocity on the deadlift, Centaurian on the uh, squat, and it's just I wear one size up from what I compete in to actually yeah. like the straps are so loose on me I probably couldn't wear them. Like it would require me to be like halfway down in a squat to actually like catch. Yeah. Vince, did you do a lot of practicing in your gear too? Uh, when I when I lifted in my gear. Yeah. You mean the, uh, the yeah we did we did uh, when we did bench we did some benches with with the suit and without the suit you know what I mean yeah how often would you wear your shirt Vince 
Uh, gosh, I'd wear it. Uh, I, I would cycle my my training, and then the last few weeks before the competition, I would put the suit on. But I, you know, when you're just using the suit, it, you're not using all the muscles either. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. I know you're that Westside used to be a lot of raw, and they wouldn't even get into the suit till two weeks out just to see if it would. Definitely, fit. we we would do that. We would not do that till later on. So we could get the uh, you know, the muscle developed. You know what I mean? What if because the suit didn't fit? <laughs> then what? Uh, we get another one. <laughs> I love it. Generally, I didn't generally have that program. I wanted to ask you too. Uh, some people work the deadlift in the squat on different days. Is that uh, regular now, or? I would say for the most part. Actually, you know what? I don't. I think. I think there's a lot of like in the USAPL circles. There's a lot of squat, bench, deadlift days. Like they just run a fucking meet of volume. Yeah, you have to do it the day. same day because you know you squat and deadlift on the same day. You got to do one of the same. I've seen a lot of lifters. They're not squatting and deadlifting on the same day, but in a meet, you got to do it on the same day, right? <laughs> right. So for us. Our max efforts are split up. So day one will be squat, day two will be bench, and then every other week we do a deadlift uh, single. But on our day four, we do all of our volume, like very light, high-volume squats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, together. For that reason, because Jeremy said that. Jeremy said that you said that. And I actually uh, – so when I was working with Jeremy, one of the things that I really liked was squatting before deadlifts. Like I, I felt like at the end of that training day, I got a lot out of that training day. And Jeremy yeah. actually said this to me too that um, Ed Cohn said the things that made you sore will also make you not sore. So we get our like really light, higher frequency stuff at the uh, at the end of the week there. So like it might be like sixty percent squats, five by five, same with the deadlifts. Yeah, you know, yeah. like fifty reps moving around, and it just like it helps just get get you moving, get the soreness out, yeah, get a yeah. quick groove yeah. of technique. Yeah. Like I, I liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, I did again, Kevin. Yeah, I did get that from Vince because we talked, and again, early on in my career, you know, he was telling me about my deadlift days, and he goes, "What do you do?" I'm like, "Well, you know, I deadlift." And he goes, well, "What are you doing before that?" And he mentioned about having a meet. And he goes, "Dude, he goes, deadlift is always the last thing." He goes, "You have got to do something before," and he always recommended squat, but he even recommended even the off season, just just sit ups, just ab work. He goes, "You got to do something. You got to be always a little tired going into your deadlift." So that's where I kind of built that philosophy up. Kevin was, yeah. you know, I wanted a second day of deadlift because. As my, you know, again, as I was going through, I looked at it, I'm like, man, I'm, you know, squatting was one of my weaknesses. So I had to put a second day in with that. And so obviously I put it right there, you know, especially as I got towards a meet, but it was just a little bit lighter than my actual squat day. But again, it was enough to get some solid technique in. It was enough where it was, you know, a medium heavy load. It's nothing that was too taxing, but it was still where I got extra practice in. I got tired. And then, like you said, I felt great for my deadlifts. My deadlifts actually felt better, and I feel weird just because I'm deadlifting right now. And Vince was the one that pointed that out, and it was just common sense. But, again, I was, you know, 18 years old at the time learning about powerlifting and, and you know, why you should put stuff in. So that was something I built into my yeah. philosophy that I, I use today. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I actually use, like, how you were saying, Vince, how you were taking, like, 60 seconds rest in between those singles. Yeah, so we did. a yeah. really lightweight we put time limits on it. So instead of giving them like a rest period, I'm like, you got to do these five sets in under 12 minutes or something like that. So that like, even though it's 50 to 60%, it's very light. It feels a little heavier. They're getting a workout. It's a little, it's a little tougher on them. I cycled it. I worked up to, uh, 
I think my bet, I worked up to 750 pounds for uh, five singles of a minute rest. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I remember doing that, yeah. In my bet, in that cycle was 750 pounds. Uh, do it one rep, rest a minute, do another rep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that wasn't on special plates. That wasn't on a special deadlift bar. That was just iron. Oh, no, just the iron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, what, that's what's amazing now, right, is everybody needs their special Leco bars and calibrated plates, and they need the right situation, and their mood needs to be in the right place. I did a, uh, I did a voiceover for a Milanochev KK, and um, – Sorry, Chev, video, and they were talking about the gyms that they trained at. And there's this place in Russia, it's called MIA is the name of the, oh, MAI is the name of the gym. And like in this gym, like the leg press is literally held up by kettlebells because it's so uneven and broken. And like, uh, Kirill, I think, was the one talking at the time. And he was just like, he's like, that's the leg press that's only for the most desperate athletes. And they just had these, like, squat posts and plates. And, like, they didn't have anything special. But, like, those are three of the strongest people that have ever walked the planet. And they were able to get strong in those those environments. And, of course, there's, like, drugs and everything else involved and stuff. But, I mean, it's amazing to me that – you know, we're spoiled in this, like, newer age of powerlifting with access you know, to everything, you know? When I won my world championship in 1977, Vince Loike, he got lymphoma, he died of cancer. So I went to a basement with Jack Sedaris and some other lifters, some not. And we, and we lifted in a basement with just a power rack. I had my best meet. Yeah, like, there's just something about being around the right people in the right environment, training hard. Yeah. Yields it was great a basement. Results. It was a basement, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, like, I mean, so, Vince, let me ask you this. Do you think the lifters of your era of powerlifting, yourself included, yeah. would be stronger than the ones that are lifting today? They're all strong. Powerlifters, the world's <laughs> strongest sport. Powerlifting is the world's strongest sport. You have tremendously strong powerlifters now. You did it back then. That we're all brothers in this in the iron game. And I'm not going to say we were stronger back then. No, they're stronger now too. They're strong now too. We're we're part of the uh, powerlifting is the world's strongest sport. We're brothers and sisters in the world's strongest sport. Our era was not better. This era, you know what I mean? We're all apart. I respect I respect that answer. Yeah. What about you, Jeremy? What do you think? Um, you know, I think since the raw movement has been in, Kevin, it, it's it's definitely been a good showing for, you know, actual strength now. You know, even though I love single ply and everything like that, it was good to see the raw movement come in so you actually see people like, no, this is actually how strong they are. Um, you know, but I respect to a lot of the guys back in the day. That's why I look up to them. I know there's different stuff we can argue about that era with stuff versus, you know, what I chose to be with USA Powerlifting and the IPF. But when you just look at the guys, like everything was walked out, everything was basic equipment, you know, everything was, you know, pretty good judging. There wasn't like all these different federations. You know, I talked to Vince, like, you know, Vince actually won a world championship, you know, where there's, there's like, I don't know how many freaking federations and you can say that stuff. I mean, you, you kind of know who the strongest people are, but it was good to see that era. Um, because the equipment just got out of control. 
I think with the multiply stuff, but it's just been good, great to see the raw stuff come back into play and, you know, being able to develop those lifters. Yeah, I think lifters all around. I was talking. Today, uh, before we leave, could I uh, do a mental training with you guys to, show, to demonstrate it? Yeah, let's do it. Could you, could you think of when you were lifting at your best? Okay. We don't have to do it right now, but I'd like to try it. Uh, not try it, do it. You know, try it in those effort without results. But I want you to think of when you were doing your best lift. And I'll show you how to program that into your mind. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Because I have to, my dogs are getting a little restless. I, I have fun, but we have five greyhounds. We, you know, <laughs> they come to my gym every day, you know, and everything. And they, uh, you see my greyhounds, didn't you, Jeremy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to watch all your old videos on, you pulled out on the, was it the beta and stuff, Vince? We used to watch yeah. the old lifters and everything. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, I got to see all that stuff over there. Yeah. You know, I you could keep on going, you know, at the end. I want to do it. All right, the only thing uh, I was just going to add, just one thing. I was talking to Mike Zelinski, and he was saying that he kind of wished, you know, powerlifting go back to really basic equipment like blast shirts, and you could lift raw if you wanted, and there was one federation, and then you could have Blaine versus Hoff and, you know, Ray Williams thrown in there. Like, you could have everybody compete against everybody, and you don't have this, like, the extreme equipment anymore. And I kind of, like me personally, I kind of I kind of like that idea. Um because I think, like you were saying, Vince, I think it was a community back then, and everybody wanted to help each other. And I find that in the single-ply community a lot more than the rock community. It's still, you know, I've talked to Kevin and Dre, I've talked to people in different federations. They're all great. They're all great lifters. Power lifters are great. I know. You know, I... Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's the... You know, it, whatever federation they, they're in, they're still great people. Yeah. Oh yeah. And like one thing that I think has really like opened up my perspectives is like, I talked to Tony Oliveira a lot, who's multiply trained at Westside for a while. I have yeah. single ply friends. I have raw friends, raw coaches, single ply coaches. Like I have like a massive amount of perspective that like sometimes they just see things from a completely different angle. And I think it's very beneficial to coaches, lifters, and like yeah. everybody can learn from everybody. Like everybody's goal is just to get strong as fuck. So if we have that common goal, like, I don't know, it's helped me a lot. I know you've, Jeremy has talked to, like you went to Matt Wenning's gym and you said he was very helpful at with Shelby's yeah. bench or something like that. Like, yeah, that's yeah, great. Louis was great. You know, and Caleb Williams and I, Caleb, one of the greatest 148 pounders of all time in USA powerlifting. Um, you know, when he and I went down there, we even brought Josh Rohr in a couple times. You know, Louis didn't care that we were USAPL people. He, he was there because we were strong. And, you know, at that time, you know, over 700 pound deadlifts, you know, with what I was doing with Caleb squatting over 700 and single ply at 148, when you could demonstrate that stuff, it, it just didn't matter down there. You know, we're learning from them. I was learning from Vince, you know, Larry Pacifico, um, Cohen, uh, Wade Hooper was Scott. He was such a great friend of mine. Brian Siders, you know, I was learning from all these lifters and everybody was just helping everybody else out. So like, like Vince said, it was, it was amazing. And back then, like, we didn't have a lot of powerlifting coaches. 
uh, everybody was kind of helping everybody else out. You know, when I need squat advice, I, I'd call up my world team member, Wade Hooper, who is one of the best squatters of all time in uh, USAPL and the IPF. And Wade was willing to help me out, you know, even the foreign lifters and the foreign coaches. You know, it's, when you ask me about my philosophy, I was just talking to guys, you know, send me the, these guys are sending me their programs and I'm, you know, getting a downloader page back then, Kevin, and, you know, translating Russian language and you know, Norwegian language and stuff because all these guys were willing yeah. to share stuff and, and help out. And like Vince, Vince, I can't tell you how many hours when I stop in from college to see him and we talk about stuff, you know, we're watching old beta videos of him. Yeah, like <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, we're talking about all the old school lifters. You tell me this guy trained like this. I did this differently here than this guy. Larry did this over here. Um, Vince, we, we, we talked about so many lifters, you know, yeah. variations of training. It was still some of the same basic philosophies, but this guy did this, this guy trained this way. This is the way I did it. Um, this is the way, you know, he did it. This is the way your structure fit over here on this. Vince, you talked to me a lot about Lamar Gant, you know, one another great Oh, guy. he was my great friend. Yep. When I trained with uh, Lamar Gant, uh, when I, I was in, I had a room with him, I, I never won. <laughs> I always, I always said, I always said uh, Lamar Grant was my great friend. I was room with him and uh, at the World Championships. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it was and, good to hear how, how he trained and how his back structure. You know, similar to yeah, yeah, definitely. It was he's good a friend of mine on Facebook. He's going to be inducted in the Hall of Fame in Alabama. Nice. They wanted the guy that was uh, he he couldn't get a hold of Lamar. I had his number, so I gave him his number. Yeah. And he uh, yeah he was great 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 uh, friend. Yeah. I missed it. It was good to hear all that stuff that you shared with me, though. Though, yeah, one of one of the things, um, like I've always respected about Louis is he always, you yeah. know, I've heard him talk about you, Vince, a lot, and like yeah, Louis is a great one of the great ambassadors of our sport. One of the, well, you know, he's an icon. And it didn't even matter if somebody wasn't training at Westside. Like, yeah, when he's asked who the strongest people were, like. Ed Cohn's always mentioned, even though he didn't train at Westside, and he has great respect for him. He has great respect for you. Like, he just has great respect for the sport and the people who perform in the sport. great ambassador for our sport. And you are too, Vince. Um, so, Vince, let, let's do this mental training. Okay, we're doing – I want you to – I want you to – I want to demonstrate it to you and let me know if it – it's going to help you. It's not if it's going to help. It's going to help your lips. All right, let's okay, do it. Think of a time when you were training at your best. Think of a time when you were, could you do that? I got it. Okay, I'm going to put you in a relaxed state now, all right? Let's do it. All right, inhale for the count of three. Exhale for the count of six. Inhale for the count of three. Exhale for the count of six. As you inhale, think relax. As you exhale, think deep, relax. You're starting to feel very relaxed. I want you now to visualize a wave of relaxation washing down your body. It's going through your head, your neck, your shoulders, your arms. Going through your arms into your torso, through your torso, into your hips, through your hips to your legs, washing all the tension into your feet, and into the earth, you should become very relaxed. I want you now to visualize a wave of relaxation washing down your body. It's going through your head, your neck, your shoulders, your arms, going through your arms into your torso, 
your torso, into your hips, through your hips, through your legs, washing all the tension, into your feet, and into the earth, which become very relaxed. You're now at the bottom of an escalator. This escalator is going up into the clouds. As you easily step on the escalator, you feel your way going up and up, higher and higher, more and more relaxed, higher and higher. More and more relaxed, up, 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 your escalator going up higher and higher. As you near the top, you see a nice soft white cloud. As you easily step off onto the cloud, you feel your body floating in the air, floating, floating, floating on your cloud. All your cares, all your worries are floating out of your body as you effortlessly float, float, float on your cloud. Enjoy the pleasant feeling. Okay, it's time to come down, time to come down. As you easily step back on the escalator, feel your body going down and down, deeper and deeper, more and more relaxed. You're going down and down, deeper and deeper, more and more relaxed. Go down, 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 the rest are going down and down. As you're near the bottom, you see a neon sign with the word relax, flashing on and off. Relax, relax, relax. I'm going to now count from 10 to 1. When I reach 1, you mean extremely relaxed. Eight, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Very, very relaxed now. Very relaxed. Whenever you wish to re-enter this relaxed state, put your thumb and forefinger together with your left hand. When you do so, you'll fall in a relaxed state. Then make sure you're not driving or doing anything that requires your attention. I want you now to think of, of a time when you're performing your best at any of the three lifts. Any of the three, let's get specific now. Pick a lift. Pick a lift. Pick a time when you're performing at your best in this lift. I want you to see what you saw. What did you see? Background, scenery, people, competitors, judges, anything that was present visually Bring that now into your consciousness. And get in third person. See yourself performing your best. See yourself performing your best. Now, I want you to hear what you were hearing. What did you hear when you were performing your best? Background noise, other people speaking to you or to each other, your competitors, the judges, what were they saying to you or each other? And how were, how were they congratulating you when you're performing your best? And what was your internal dialogue? What were you saying to yourself when you're performing your best? Okay, now I want you to feel it. Actually, feel yourself performing your best. Get into your body. Get into your heart. Feel it. Feel that success. Feel that success. Feel it in your body. When you can actually feel it, clench the fist of your right hand. Six. Clench the fist of your right hand when you can actually feel that success. Very good. Relax your right hand. This is your homework. When you go to bed at night before you go to sleep, 
clinch that right fist and feel yourself performing at your best. When you wake up in the morning before you got out of bed, clinch that right fist and feel yourself performing your best. And during, whenever you're working out, whenever you're working out, and that particular lift, clinch that right fist and feel yourself performing your best. And when you're competing, clinch that right fist and, and get better in your mind. Feel it in your body. Feel yourself competing, performing at your best. Okay. I'm going to now count from one to ten. When I reach ten, you're going to open your eyes, feel very refreshed, but full of energy. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Open your eyes. Okay, how do you feel? Fired up. Huh? Fired up. Uh, I might have made a mistake when I was putting you on. Did I? You see, I, I said something twice. What did you say twice? I, I don't know what I was. You know why? Because I had a little disturbance here. One of my dogs came in here, raised his paw, and peed on my leg. <laughs> Fine, we got it. Yeah. So if I messed it up a little bit at the beginning, put him under a relaxed state, that's the reason. <laughs> What's funny was the, uh, like when you're going through like that part of like feel your strongest, it wasn't necessarily like the whole lift. It was like that part where the lift kind of gets stuck. Yeah. Like I could feel myself like getting through that like stuck part. Yeah, like good. A lot. You, yeah. Could you actually feel the success though in your body? Oh yeah, like my palms are sweating right now. Like, now, clinch that right fist and see if you can feel it. I mean, yeah, like I, I'm still like jacked up from thinking about it. Like everybody yelling and like- Yeah, good. And the bar's getting stuck. Yep. <laughs> Jeremy, how about you? Were you able to do that? Oh yeah, Vince, just like we practiced before. I mean, that's that was a key thing. Like my first 700 pound deadlift when you and I were training, we were going for the uh, American record when I was 19. Um, you know, just about to turn 20. And that was a big part when everyone was telling me to sit down and relax and sit in a chair and everything like that. And that, that just didn't work for me. People yeah. didn't understand that I was in a relaxed state, even though I was pacing and walking around, you know, for a while before my yeah. last, I was in, a, I was in my own relaxed state. I was, I wasn't wasting any energy. It was just, I needed to get up and move a little bit. Everyone's, I knew what I needed to do. And that was part of that mental training that, you know, we had never affected me ever, you know? When it came to a big lift on stuff like that. So that was something I always used. So even though I was up moving around and walking around, it just, uh, you know, I, I was, I was relaxed in my own way. People just didn't understand that. Good. I get that. Cause like I'm a pacer too. And like, you know, it just reminds me of like waiting for a round to start, like doing the MMA stuff, like staring down your opponent, but staying loose and being in the right frame of mind. Like there's something for me, like about that moving around that, Helps me know, like, hey, you're gonna have to fight for this rep, like, but you got this type of thing. Like, I totally, I totally understand the pacing part. When I'm doing, speaking of MMA, um, uh, this lady from, I'm gonna work with her on Saturday in mental training. She, I'm gonna work because she got ahead an injury. I'm gonna work with her mental. She's in the MMA, a woman. That's awesome. I'm like, it, it'll help any sport, anything. You know what I mean? Oh, mindset, like you said, like mindset is, I mean, if the mind can't see the body doing it, the body's not doing it. Definitely. See, you're, 
you know, it's, it's the mind. Everything, success in anything, the common denominator is the mind. There's so many different ways of doing anything, you know, techniques of training for any sport, techniques for training for powerlifting, but the common denominator is the mental state. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree, agree more with that. Because um, I had so many different routines out there that helped me throughout my career. It's hard to get back and say, you know, I have a routine now where I used to take, you know, percentages. I used to work on a percentage cycle, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then every week uh, I would work on a percentage. I would add 10 pounds to the, to the, you know, my top lift, you know what I mean? And then work from percentages of that. Yeah, I mean, slow and steady, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to say what I actually did because I had, I had so many different routines out there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, and I think everybody goes through that process too, right? Like you just try a bunch of different things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. I think that's a great place to stop. Um, we've been talking for quite a while. and This was absolutely awesome. And I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come on here. Um, Vince, do you do a lot on uh, social media? I know you're on Facebook quite a bit, but... Yeah, I do. Uh, I'm, I'm training. I train some powerlifters uh, on the uh, assistant exercises, not on the particular list, but on the assistant exercises online. So, if they uh, wanted to find your information, how would they get there? Uh, actually, I have a uh, every I have, on Facebook. I have almost five thousand friends now. Or email me at nellobodyfitness at uh, twc.com. Awesome. And Jeremy, you want to give your social media a shout out? Yeah, just uh, look up Hartman Performance, Facebook, Instagram, you know, Twitter. Uh, hit me up, Hartman, H-A-R-T-M-N-P-T-1 at gmail.com. You know, like Vince, we we a lot of people, and like you, Kevin, you know, we anyone who ever contacts me, I always try to get back to them one way or another. I don't care. It's, you know, they're, they just need to talk because one thing I learned from all the great lifters is I've never, ever been turned down. You know, whenever I talk to people, whenever I ask people for time, you know, someone might take the show that you're, you're, you're really worth their, you know, time that you're going to put the effort into. But I, I, that was something that was passed down to me and these guys just for free. So I never, ever turned down somebody even to help them just a little bit. Wait a minute. And I got to tell you about the world record I still hold. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. I, I still hold this world record, Kevin and Jeremy. It's never been broken. What is it? World's ugliest powerlifter. <laughs> I don't know. I, I got to tell you about this. I got to tell you about this. I was in California lifting in there, and I, we were in a restroom. We were going through there, and there were these judges. They were talking, and this is, I, I, they actually said this. They said, you know what? I think Vince Vidal is the world's ugliest powerlifter. <laughs> that's a, honest to God, that's what they said. Vince Vidal is going to be the world's ugliest. And, hey, I still had that world record. And that's all that, that's all that matters, and that's all people uh... – Remember no, you sure, four, they right? did say that. They did say that in California <laughs> in the seventies. Vincent always gotta be the world's ugliest powerlifter. <laughs> you know, getting back to what you said, Jeremy, like I think Dave Tate said this plant seeds not concrete, and I think that's a uh, a great way to live by, like helping give back to the sport. Like Vince passed down his information to you, you're passing down your information to me, and hopefully I can return that favor to somebody else down the road. Um, Definitely, Kevin. Again, we're members of powerlifting, the world's strongest sport. No matter what federation, we're all brothers and sisters in the world's strongest sport. I love that, and that's a great message to end on. No matter what era it was, 
you know, back then in the old days, back and now, and with Federation, we're all part of the world's strongest sport, brothers and sisters. God bless it. God bless it. 100%. Guys, you can follow me on Instagram. It's KWK and our team, Precision Powerlifting Systems. Stay strong, Boston.